Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 194, I Care If You Live or Die. This week we're discussing season 3, episode 14 of Battlestar Galactica, The Woman King, and season 6, episode 21 of Buffy, Two to Go. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. Alrighty. So, uh, The Woman King. Mm. The Woman King. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, I noticed the actual line that Hilo uh, says when he refers to her. It, there's more of a pause there, like, a, right. like, you know, there's a comma, like... Right. Uh, 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 and a positive, I guess. Um, right. It's a little the woman misleading, King. I guess. Like the yeah. title seems like it's going to mean one thing and then it's kind of, you know, right. like, because of the grammar, woman. it's, yeah. A woman King? Come on. <laughs> right. Um, which I think that reminds me, so totally going off tangent here, that reminds me, I think there's an episode of Friends where mm-hmm. um, uh, Ross says something like, like that's like a woman trying to be, and then like he really he's talking to like Rachel or someone, and and he's like realizes he can't like finish that sentence. And What's the end of the anything sentence, yeah. other than a misogynist? Yeah. And then like later in the episode, Joey does it, and and uh, you know Ross is like, yeah, yeah. What is the end of that sentence? <laughs> and and I think Joey says king or something like that, like something like yeah, yeah. <laughs> very you know uh, whatever. Anyway. That just occurred to me. I didn't think of that until just Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway. So, on to the actual show we're talking about. Um, Which, I mean, before we get into the main arguments of this, it, it is weird, though. Like, I mean, I don't object to, I clearly don't object to titles being misleading or meaning more than one thing. Like, I like when titles are kind of clever that way. But this totally, like, really doesn't have anything to do about, like, any suggestion of, like, the notion of women in power or all the kind of things that the right. woman king suggests. That's, like, not, it's not even that this episode is, like, against it. It's just that it's, like, not even what the episode is about, like, has at all. nothing to do. Like, yeah. it has nothing to do with it. And so it does make you go, like, why did they call it this? Like, right. I... yeah. Well, and and also, so <laughs> that that word we love, contrived, right? Like, there is a sense of contrivance with this episode in the whole of like, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not. Well, I will get into like maybe the different themes that we think that they were trying to hit you over the head with, mm-hmm. um, but like, yeah, like it's not like it's not even like it's like Roslyn or someone like, yeah, like woman in power or that like Mrs. King whose, whose name we don't even like get right. We just like, she's just called Mrs. King. Right. Um, Don't even get her first name, which is not great on the female empowerment. Score. Right. <laughs> right. So if, even if there were trying to go for like some kind of, you know, female empowerment theme, like they failed by not even giving her a name. The, uh, so the woman king has no first name. This is what we've learned. And, and like, like she's not even like a leader among the Sagittarians. Right. Right. Sure. Like as far as like, 
I mean, other than she's like, oh, I'm going to tell everyone I know that, like, the doctor's killing people. But, like, they already hate doctors anyway. Like, it's not like... Right. Like, everyone loves doctors, and then, like, she influences them into, like, hating Dr. Robert because, like, he's terrible or something. Like, it's just right. like, I'm going to convince all my friends who are already predisposed to hate this guy to hate him more. Right. <laughs> um, and even in, there there was actually, like, one moment, like, just, I'm just going to keep keeping on stuff here. Like... Oh, there was I'm even gonna join one, you pretty soon, but I'll let you finish first. There was even one moment where, like, when Hilo goes to give her the braid or bracelet or whatever it is that, mm-hmm. like, um, was her was her son Willie's game. Willie has a name that her son Willie uh, had on his wrist. Who calls a grown man <laughs> Willie still? Like, except for like Willie Nelson. Like, how many Willies do you know that are, yeah. like, like 20-something-year-olds? Right. It's not, like, 8-year-old Willie. It's, like, 19-year-old right. Willie. Yeah. Like, I feel like, right, after yeah. 12 and before, like, 63, like, you, you're not, nobody calls you Willie anymore. Yeah. Bill or William or something, like, or even Will, like, like that. But Willie just doesn't seem appropriate for that age. Anyway. Back to the point I was making. When Hilo goes to give her this bracelet from her son, Willie, you know, that what had been his, like, there's a moment there where she's like, I think you better leave now. Where you almost get the sense that, like, like maybe she is, maybe she does have, like, some hidden dark power and, mm. like, is about to, like, incite a riot and is, mm. like, like, she's taken a liking to Hilo because he at least cared. And mm-hmm. so it was, like, giving her him, like, a premonition of like something about that, but then like nothing ever happened. Right. There's like, sure. I mean, there is, there is kind of a little bit of a riot, like at one point, but like, right. Like that's already happened. <laughs> like, it's not even like, right. And it doesn't right. have to do with her. It Right. It's not like she's yeah. like leading anything there. It's right. just like other people are pissed off. So it's right. like, like there's that one point where like, she almost could be like a, a right. sort of god like a revolutionary a grand, kind a, of yeah, yeah a godmother you know or whatever but like yeah doesn't it just doesn't yeah. happen and sure. so yeah no i think you're right like they totally missed on an opportunity there to say something that wasn't like what they actually say well and and in a really bizarre way that seems kind of intentional sets you up to expect things that it has no intention of delivering. Right. Like, like not even like, Oh darn it. We didn't notice that this is a theme that we could have done, but like you had to know that was what you were doing when you named the title. Like, I just can't understand the, the, well, and the thought process behind the title. <laughs> and that's the contrivance aspect of it, right? Sure, it's like you yeah. contrive this thing. Right. That Which, you don't end up following through on. Yeah, like it, yeah. it's not it's not bad it's bad enough that you like contrived it but you didn't even like contrive it well right sure all right let me let me give my little my little spiel here to set <laughs> us up um because okay and i'm good this is kind of production note slash get us ready for like more you know uh snarking about the episode um all right so 
So we're in agreement that this episode kind of wasn't the best. Is that what we're... <laughs> I think most people are in agreement. From what I can tell, this is definitely down at the bottom. Um, I found I Googled and found some reviews that seem... I didn't read them extensively, but seem to kind of not give it a terrible review. But I don't think this is generally a, a favorite for most people. Um, so, all right. Written by Michael Angeli, who... Um, has written some pretty decent episodes. He wrote um, Six Degrees of Separation with Baltar, the first big Baltar episode where he like gets, you know, uh, framed by Shelley Godfrey and all that. Um, and then A Measure of Salvation, which was the episode where Hilo kills the the prisoners that they're going to use the as the bioweapons and everything. So kind of a this is sort of following on from that. So like certain themes are ones that he's continuing. Um, and he writes, uh, I was looking ahead to the episodes he writes in season four, and they're some of the best ones in my opinion, and like really well received. So uh, much as some people might disagree with us, I don't think it's just a case of a bad writer, you know, so maybe a badly written episode, but you know, somebody who has good episodes in them. Um, so, I mean, for sure, there is some terrible writing and dialogue in this episode. So I don't think he gets a free pass. Um, but on top of that, from what I can tell, this was a fairly fraught production as well. Like there was late rewriting, um, and cut material, which you could probably figure out based on the fact that like in the previously on section, there are scenes that we've never seen. <laughs> so when you watch it, you're like, hey, here's a whole subplot we had no idea about of Hilo working in Dogville. Like, like this was stuff that right. was cut out of previous episodes and okay. and scenes that were either cut or rewritten or switched around. So I think there's something must have been going on behind the scenes that maybe took a poor script and made it even worse than it had to be. Um, all right. So the thing I want to share... Um, which I don't normally do, which is like share somebody else's analysis or criticism, because in general, like I, I'd rather us come to it with our own thoughts and not like just repeat what other people have said. Sure. Um, so I don't, I mean, I certainly will read, I try to avoid Buffy and Angel just because of spoilers, but like I've mm -hmm. read a bunch of Doctor Who criticism. So it's not like I avoid it, but like, I don't it's not like I sit around and research it in preparation for these podcasts or whatever. Right. Um, right. But this one I have to share because it totally stuck in my memory. I couldn't not remember this. Um, so, all right. For context, I think when I finished watching BSG the first time, whenever this was a couple of years ago, um, just in Googling, you know, stuff to read about it, like things that people had written, um, I found uh, these kind of recap slash essays on a website which used to run called Television Without Pity. Um, and the writer was Jacob Clifton who wrote these uh, epic, they were called recaps, but they were more than that. They recap the episodes, but like he would kind of analyze and give commentary along with it. So it's kind of this hybrid between 
recapping what happened and like also doing like a close reading analysis of the thing. And these things were like 20 or 30 pages long. They're like really, really like for each episode, they're really detailed. Um, and uh, from what I can remember of them really well written. And of course I was like halfway through them when the website like folded and they took all of the archives offline. Nice. <laughs> it's like crap. Wow. So I don't even remember like which ones I read or how far I got. But the one that I remembered like in my brain was the one for this episode, um, which uh, when we got to watching this, I actually Googled it and they put them back up online again. So if anybody's interested, uh, you know, go and read them now or download them or wherever, because who knows how long they're going to stay, you know, how long they'll have the archive up before the website, you know, craps out again. Um, so I'm looking forward now to going and maybe when we're finished our episodes, I'll go back and reread his and see what he has to say or whatever. Um, but I had to read this one because I remember it so vividly. Um, so there's a couple quotes I pulled out, but um, he called it the Hilo suit. And so, I mean, he absolutely hates this episode. And it's one of those great, in general, I prefer reading positive criticism to negative. Like, I think it's just more valuable in general. But there is something fun when you get a critic who clearly really loves the thing that they're critiquing, but maybe really hates a specific aspect of it. And just like totally goes to town on it. Um, and it's like this really, really bitchy essay about how awful this episode is. Um, but, you know, done with love, because in general, he is very positive about the show and everything. So you can kind of take it in the right spirit. Um, but anyway, the premise of the Hilo suit, which is what he calls the episode, um, is all right, I'm going to read this one thing, which this is the one paragraph I think will kind of start us off and then we can maybe have our discussion. But so he starts in the beginning where Hilo can't sleep. Um, and he writes that Hilo tosses and turns in bed, unable to sleep, full of strange sensations. The main one is that his skin is being hollowed out from the inside by a mysterious party. Let's just call him Michael Angeli for the purposes of putting on his gigantic, awesome body like a skin suit and walking around inside a world not unlike the world of Battlestar we've come to know. This Hilo suit looks like Hilo, wants to hug you like Hilo, is silently grim and put upon like Hilo, and takes off his clothes a good deal more than Hilo normally does, which is nice of the Hilo suit. But the most interesting thing about the Hilo suit is its curious power of turning everybody around it into a total a-hole, acting entirely out of character and speaking in stilted language, in order to bring the Hilo suit closer and closer to sainthood. So it continues in this vein. But the basic idea is like this general trend of Hilo's sort of saintly perfectness and how he is righteous and good and always right and never faces the consequences of anything. And everyone around him is just kind of a total moron in this episode. Sure. Um, that totally like stuck in my brain so that now whenever I watch this episode, I can't not think about the Hilo suit. Um, and so. <laughs> and every, to... every time you say Hilo suit, I always think of the movie Men in Black where uh, you get the alien wearing an egger suit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> No, it's well, so 
like, and I think there's like a hugely valid point to this very snarky argument, you know, like of, um, I feel like virtuous characters aren't the easiest to do because I think in general, conflict and drama is what's interesting about stories, like when people are in conflict with each other. So that generally means when people are flawed, you know, or are, argue with each other or disagree or, you know, there's, you know, that's kind of where the interest lies. And so it's hard to do with characters that are kind of like really good and like kind of generally always do the right thing. Um, mm -hmm. And I feel like Hilo is one of those characters and I feel like he normally gets away with it because it's not commented on. Like it just is the way he is and nobody makes a big fuss about it. And I don't think he makes a big fuss about it. It's not like he regards himself in general as this perfect character and everybody else is awful. It's just, Hilo's just a good guy. Um, and I feel like this episode maybe calls too much attention to that. And it wants him to seem like this really, I think what frustrates me is that it, it kind of wants you to think of him as this very long suffering character who has to put up with all this stuff when generally I think he's had like a pretty good time of it. Like of everybody, like he has a kind of nice little family unit. Um, you know, he's got the Cylon wife who sure they get some prejudice, but basically like people have come to accept her. Um, mm -hmm. he's got, you know, promoted to like really I mean he's basically was the exo while Ty wasn't around they got the yeah. daughter back um he yeah he does things that people don't always agree with but he never faces any consequences for them like even when he goes against orders like nobody ever really like does anything and so I feel like it's really frustrating to have him in this episode act like he's this really put upon martyr when like that's just not the yeah. case. And and so I think the idea of the Hilo suit is like putting on the saintliness of Hilo to work out your issues of feeling like, why doesn't anybody understand me? When that's not that's not Hilo that we've come to see, I don't think. Um, you know, so that's kind of the point that I wanted to pull out from, you know. There are many other points that Jacob Clifton makes, but that's the one I wanted to sort of, you know, focus on. Um, anyway, I've been talking a lot, so you can talk no. some now. So, I mean, I think that all makes sense and agree with it. I mean, the, so that the, both times that I rewatched, that I watched this episode this, this time around was, it's one thing that stuck out to me was like, Ty coming up to Hilo and, you know, commenting about like how Dr. Roberts, the only one who has anything good to say about Hilo, like these, it's like, really? Who doesn't have like, good things like, to who, say about Hilo? Who's been bad mouthing Hilo all <laughs> yeah. along? Yeah. And like, I mean, maybe you could just write that off as Ty being a jerk. Cause like, Ty is a jerk. <laughs> Like, like right. that's totally something Ty could, Ty could say to press someone's buttons. Sure. But like Hilo seems to accept right. it. 
right as well so it's like so yeah like if you're viewing it from a hilo suit then then maybe it but you know like maybe that's just hilo you know hilo's sort of insecurity and fear mm. more than actual reality like again which totally again supports the idea of a hilo that this episode is like through hilo's eyes right this mm-hmm. is a hilo colored you know world view. yeah and um, and and I'll say I like that I love when they take a character who hasn't had a central episode and put them at the center. Like that in theory is sure. totally um you know, I think a great thing to do. Um Yeah. But you know, it's, it's not nice clear. to have a Hilo episode. It's just he's it's just not clear that so it's like and even if that was like like if you want to say, hey, we're going to do an episode from Hilo's view and show how his view of himself is so completely different of everyone else's view of him, that would be fine too. Mm-hmm. I don't even feel like it's that like it's it's self-important without being self-aware, kind of in a way, if that's right. even possible. Like, yeah. like I feel like it's like, oh yeah, we're going to do this like Hilo episode and like get his point of view and stuff. But like, like it's not you're you don't come out of it feeling like, oh wow, Hilo has a really distorted view of himself compared to like what everyone else actually thinks. It's right. like it's like almost like, no, Hilo really is this put upon and right. like And we just th- never knew before. We just never or, realized it. Yeah. But like even within the episode, it doesn't bear out because like you get the beginning where like first of all, when are like all right, Hilo and Sharon walking with like Lee and Racetrack and like whoever else like they're with in the group there and like laughing and joking and frolicking through the hallways of the Galactica. Like like when does that happen? That just doesn't make any sense. Like even to have that group together doing the things that they're doing, saying the things they're saying. And and then yeah, like you throw in there the fact that like have we even heard of Dogville before now. <laughs> like like if it's been mentioned, yeah. like it's certainly we didn't know what it was or like like we know that they've been bringing refugees onto the Galactica before. Like that's right. not like we you know we saw when like um Kara, you know, like the episode where she goes I guess this is Dogville where she goes to see her little friend there who she thought was her daughter, right? Like mm-hmm. And that sort of thing. So, like, it's not like a surprise that there's, like, refugees and stuff. But, like, first mention of Dogville, you don't even, like, know what it is or, like, mm-hmm. why Hilo's the mayor of it or, you know, being called the mayor right. of it, you know. Right. And, like, this kind of stuff. So, it's just, like, a lot of stuff going on there. And Well, and it's, like, even if they wanted to say, um, okay, we're going to introduce Dogville and we're going to do that by putting Hilo in charge of it fine like he gets moved yeah. like we need somebody to do this and and Hilo gets the job but like I feel like again like they do kind of act like this is a thing that you might know about and and that it's supposed to be a thing that Hilo keeps getting these punishment jobs for crossing the line and again it's like what like it seems to me that he gets promoted a lot <laughs> like that seems to be what I've seen is like yeah. Hilo does the right thing, whether people agree with it. And then eventually pretty quickly they go, yep, that was the right thing. And then he gets like patted on the back, which 
is what happened before this and what happens at the end of this too. Like there's really no sense of like the whole speech he does about how this is the job for the guy who everybody knows crosses the line. Like what? Like what? Like I don't, that makes no sense in the context of Kilo that we've seen in the past. Like, you know, um, there's just no like precedent for it. Um, yeah. And I, well, you know, if you're going to do the, like, I agree, like, having Hilo maybe have a, a different view of himself than other people do is a fine idea. And, um, you know, but like, again, if you're going to do the virtuous character, then I feel like it's hard to then make the episode about him, about how misunderstood and virtuous he is, because then it's like, it, he's hard to like in this episode. And like, Kilo is never hard to like anywhere else. Like for all that he's the kind of good, reliable, loyal guy, I don't think at any other point do I like, that That never annoys me. I never like resent him for that fact. Um, it's only when he kind of, you know, complains about how nobody, you know, understands him, which again, isn't even really the case. So it's, it's just very confused, the characterization. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you had a point in there about, like, shoot, there was something I was going to respond to, and now I can't remember what it was off the top of my head. So maybe let's just move on and... If I think of it later, I'll come back to it. Um, okay. So speaking of Dogville. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, like, and I I guess, like, I'm not even sure where this is. Like, is this on one of the hangar decks or something? I like, think so. Because, like, like, wasn't there a hangar deck at one point that, like, still wasn't in operation or... or maybe back from when the Galactica was being turned into a museum, like they, one of the hangar decks was out of commission or something. And right. I don't know. So like it, it, it's, it's something like that. Yeah. It, it's hard to like pin down like exactly where this is, but apparently Dogville is the civilian refugee camp on board the Galactica. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, yeah, we never really get an explanation of what it is, but that's what it seems to be. Yeah. Um, and it seems to be named that before this like new influx of refugees, which are apparently all or, or mostly Sagittarians. Mm -hmm. um, Sagittarians are like, I don't, I don't, I mean, I was going to specify a specific sort of maybe religious bent, but I'll maybe avoid that for various reasons. But um, they're, they're, it seems to be either a religious or an ethnic or a combination religious mm -hmm. ethnic group that uh, rejects modern medicine, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it doesn't seem to be... So Hilo calls doc, Dr. Robert a racist at one point, but it doesn't seem to be strictly racist given that Dee's a Sagittarian. Right. And, and there are other Sagittarians who are 
who at least appear to be of a different race than her. So, you know. Right, right. Like, Not race in terms of skin color. Um, yeah. But like race bigoted. in terms of you come from a, like, Sagittarius is your planet. Like, right. 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 Yeah. Like how maybe someone today might make fun of someone from a different state maybe not a different country but like someone still within your same country but a different area of the country right. that might be perceived as backwards or of having a different set of values or something like that sure um yeah. right right so more of like a cultural or geographic identity and not like a biological distinction um right yeah so so bigoted yeah. certainly but not nest but race is in a different sense than what mm -hmm. we would consider um and you know like any area like you know d seems to be perfectly fine with modern medicine and you know she's in the military and all of that so you know maybe not a hundred percent of the sagittarians believe this thing but like it's a good right. heuristic that if you're from sagittarian you probably right are unwashed right. and you know right, right. don't get your vaccinations and you know that right kind of and we did we did learn that d had friction with her dad because of that like her joining of the military was sure was a was like they didn't speak after that you know like they stopped talking and then then everybody died so that was the end of their relationship was they had a big fight about her her rejection of her culture and everything. Yeah. Um, so that's certainly been part of the fact that D doesn't necessarily identify with the stereotypes of her culture is, yeah. is something we have heard before. Um, and so they, uh, they're being brought in and, and Hilo notices as do some of the others that, um, a lot of the new people coming on, a lot of the sad parents are, are sick. They're coughing and whatever. And it turns out they have this uh, illness called Mellorac. Uh, that's a type of contagious, um, although not airborne sickness um, that affects the kidneys and then eventually the respiratory, respiratory and the immune system. Um, eventually killing someone within a certain number of hours or days. Um, apparently it's curable. There's a mm -hmm. vaccination for it. Uh, and, uh, you know, but you do have to be vaccinated. Um, and it, and like, if it's caught within a certain amount of time, like it, you don't have to just be, mm -hmm. it, it doesn't, it's not just like a, a, prophylactic vaccination like you can right. you can be cured of it after contracting it as well but because these sagittarians don't believe in medicine modern medicine they many of them at least are uh refusing to seek out medical help and and so the disease is spreading yes um so that's sort of the situation um i mean i don't know how much we need to go into all of it um you know, people get sick, and and one of those people is uh, Willie King, um, mm. who, despite sort of her, uh, maybe her better judgment, <laughs> as she would put it, Mrs. King, you know, brings her son to the doctor, to Doctor Robert, who's the civilian doctor 
mm-hmm. on the ship uh, and ask him to uh, vaccinate him. Um, he presumably does so, but then Willie dies anyway, and, and there's sort of conflicting stories. Mrs. King says that she that that uh, Robert Robert killed him. Uh, killed Willie, uh, whereas Dr. Robert says, no, no, he was too far gone, and I tried to save him, but he died anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, which becomes sort of the central uh, conflict, right, in the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, around which all other conflicts are, are around. So, right, it's I mean, kind, of a, kind of a murder mystery of, you know, how and why did, yeah. did Willie die, and then extrapolating out from that towards other you know other patients or other sagittarians and right you know like, possibly beyond this situation like it ends up going all the way back to records about new caprica and all that kind of thing of you know there's a yeah. ripple effect but yeah so right like by the time additional cases start to appear of sagittarians dying under doc, dr robert's care uh Hilo's suspicious, brings his concerns to... Okay, so he goes to Adama mm-hmm. and both Coddle and Ty are in there. Whether they're, like, in there already and just happen to be there or, like, Hilo calls them all together or Adama calls them in or whatever. Um, which is weird, too, because, like, a lot of the times when people go see Adama, he seems to be alone most of the time. Except, like, this one time where, like, right. suddenly there's, like... Cuddle and tie, or just like right. so they're just sort of like lounging a, in there. Is this a meeting, or did he just sort of yeah. walk in on something? Yeah, it's not quite. Um, yeah, but the uh, yeah, so Hilo sort of presents his concerns about uh, the possibility of um, Dr. Robert killing these Sagittarians, and you know, basically it's land based. Coddle, you know, doesn't believe well, people die under my care all the time, blah blah blah. And sort of like lends professional courtesy to, you know, Dr. or not courtesy even, but like deference or whatever mm-hmm. to Dr. Robert's opinion. You know, Ty and Robert apparently go back far and, and are good friends. And so whatever. And Adam is like, yeah, I got other shit to deal with. Like, <laughs> Can't be bothered. Yeah. You know, come on, Hilo. Yeah. But like, here's the thing is like, again, like, he, like you said, like Hilo was the XO for years, right? Yeah. Or or like a, a year, year or, or, or whatever year, yeah. it was. Yeah. Like, like when they, so like I feel like if we're talk if we're pointing out instances where like characters are not acting like they act in other episodes, like this mm-hmm. is one of those. And like you could almost write it off as Adama, like yeah, being overworked and whatever. Except that like. There's a lot of consideration that he goes into. That like it's not like he's just like, all right, leave me alone. I don't have time to deal with this. Like it's like, hmm, 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 hmm. Oh, well, I got too much stuff to deal with. Like, right, right. like, and the fact that like, yeah, Hilo was your right hand man for a year or more, and you've already put him in charge of like all this stuff. Like, I think the thing that bothers me most is Adama calling it unfounded. Like, right. like Hilo at least is like, okay, here's my concern. Here's what I think could be happening. Here's some and, evidence to support it. And here's yeah. some evidence to support it. And yeah. even if, even if I'm wrong, like, like he even steps back and says, okay, 
even if I'm wrong, I'm concerned that there's an untenable situation down there. And like when Adama addresses it, he's like, you know, and I've got like, I've nearly got a riot on my hands. Like Adama's like explicitly acknowledging that this is a potential problem. And yet he's still saying to Hilo, like, deal with it. Like, don't right. come to, don't come to me with it. Hilo's trying to deal with it. He's trying to say, we need someone other than this guy who could be killing people down there. <laughs> like, but right. you're not listening. So. Right. Right. Like, like, I don't, I don't, I don't get that. Like, that just doesn't seem like a Dama to me. Yeah. You know, the, the, here's a valid concern from someone you otherwise normally trust. And even if Ty's right, that everyone else is saying bad things about Hilo, which again, we've already established isn't actually true. But like, even if that were true, Adama has been a supporter of both Hilo and Sharon, right. Athena, all along. Like, and mm -hmm. like even to the point where Rosalind accuses Adama of being overly protective of Hilo and Athena, mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. and of giving them uh, right. uh, too like, much, like, more leeway than they deserve. Right. And yet here's Adama, not even so. Like that whole scene is another one that just kind of like baffles me a bit because it mm. just doesn't feel like given that Hilo does actually give evidence and suspicions and even says, I could be wrong, but I'm still concerned that there's a situation brewing. And then Adama like lambastes him for, you know, not mm. doing his job. Like, but this is his job is to keep control and, and presumably present concerns when they arise. So I don't know. Just right. a lot of yeah, uh, and frustration it, there for me. It, I'm jumping forward slightly, but in a similar vein, um, I think the one that drives me the craziest is Coddle, um, who sure. I, I can get gruffness from Coddle. I can get, you know, frustration or short temperedness or lack of patience, lack of bedside manner. That's all totally Coddle. What I don't buy is that Coddle would lie about doing an autopsy that he didn't do. Like, that's the kind of, like, yeah. doctor ethic code behavior that I can't... Not that... I mean, I think Coddle will maybe uh, break the rules in the interest of doing the right thing by his patient. He might lie to, like, you know, Rosalind sure. or, or, even like, or something. But like, I can't... Like, he wasn't totally into the whole experimental drug torture thing with Baltar either right and eventually like pulls the plug on it but like right, right. like okay like he he went with it for a little bit and right and, right you know was monitoring the situation and stuff but yeah like right what i can't see is that Hilo comes to him and says i think a doctor might be killing civilian patients and coddle rather than it's not just the like lack of like not listening to Hilo, which he doesn't but the fact that he would lie to him and say, I did an autopsy and it said that he died of this illness when he like literally didn't do that because <laughs> he comes back a day later and is like, oh, well, now I did the autopsy and it, it confirmed what you were saying all along. Like that kind of like blatant, like, yeah. I'm going to lie to you out of convenience because I don't want to be bothered with checking on sick civilians oh that's a tough sell for coddle for me like i just yeah. can't um i could even have seen it if he just said i 
you know, I don't have time for this. Get out of here. But the fact that he lies and tells right. him he did it when he didn't, like, right. that's just like, that's so far out of character that, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, I and could... that's, again, the point about it's not just that Hilo has to be perfect and right all the time. It's that everyone else is so much worse than they normally would be. And like, not that these aren't flawed characters, but like that they're acting in ways that are even more like these are flawed characters, but what most of them aren't is incompetent, you know? And I feel like everyone mm. is pretty incompetent here of like, they don't even, it's not that they just make a bad call. It's like they do things that are stupid and make no sense um, or are like totally unethical. Like you can't even see why he would have said this to begin with. Um, even Ty, like, even Ty, yeah, like, like I get Ty yeah. is, is fiercely loyal to his friends and, uh -huh. and like, certainly not the first time we've seen that. Um, but like, think about it, like his actions with Bulldog, like, like even right. when, you know, he wanted to support Bulldog, but was like, and okay, that was like Bulldog and Adama. So okay, yeah, Ty sides with Adama, like in the end, right? But like, sure. like okay, so maybe that's a little bit of a special case, even. But I don't know. I just like, like I don't even get like the whole like storming out and like yelling at Hilo at that point either. Mm -hmm. Like, like it's just like I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. I, I agree with you. The coddle thing is uh, tough to swallow as far as, yeah, I could almost see him like, like you said, like saying, I don't have time for this or, or no, I'm, no, I didn't do it. And I'm not gonna because Dr. Roberts, a fine doctor and you need to right. back off or something like that more than I can see right. him outright lying. I think, I think you're right about that for sure. Um, you know, and I mean, kind of on like putting all of them together, like, I think the, before, I think we, was this before we started recording, you called this like a very special episode of Battlestar, <laughs> like where it's like very yeah heavy handed with its themes and everything. And I feel like from everybody, they overdo it with the racism stuff. And it's not that I don't yeah. think racism exists or that people aren't this vehement, but like, you know, I feel like there's a string of characters who are, I don't know. I feel like at the end of the day, there's just this sort of acceptance that the racism is kind of okay as long as you don't kill people. You know, like, there's really no sense that, like, Ty or Tyrrell or any of the, you know, or Coddle or anybody, like, really regrets or you know rethinks their like really vehement attitude towards the Sagittarians it's more of a kind of thing of well everybody treats them like crap but Robert's the bad guy because he actually acted on it you know right. and as long as the rest of them don't act on it then it's kind of just allowed well and it's like I guess that's the way it is but like I don't I, it's one thing when it's like Cylons, you know, and there's like a fear element of like, 
you know, I'm not saying it's right when it's Cylons. It's just that I buy, I buy the epithets of like toaster lover and all that kind of thing. It's like, I just feel like the Sagittarian thing is, is more heavy handed and it's never really addressed except for Robert who becomes like kind of the scapegoat of the whole thing. And nobody else is ever really implicated in like maybe stirring the pot with all of your like, you know, uh, name calling and, you know, stereotyping Mm. and everything. Um, you know, and even the fact that, like, another thing that, you know, uh, is in that essay is, you know, Jacob Clifton says is, like, the fact, even the fact that, like, D agrees with them. So, like, the one member of the community right. kind of agrees with all the awful things you're saying about them. And, like, so does that give it permission that it's okay? Like, I, it's just weird. Sure. Um. Yeah, what's what's the uh, Sagittarian equivalent of like Uncle Tom <laughs> or something? Sure, like right. like like that's like the deep, but like a caricature, like yeah, right? right, like right, yeah, right, right. And she's okay because she's rejected them and is, you know, has, you know, by the other characters been accepted, and by Robert, you know, right. Lilo says, you know, she's one of the good ones, so. You know, but even like as the audience, like we don't think of her as one of those unwashed, backwards, sure, you know, superstitious Sagittarians. It's like, yeah, she's Sagittarian, but not really, you know, because she's right. rejected all that and and she's seen been the assimilated. light. And she's yeah. been assimilated and and you know, uh, you know, she's cultured and educated and all those all those things. So, um. So yeah. yeah, like in general, I feel like it's a bit, it's it's a bit overplayed, really. Um, and it, um, like Hilo's the only one who can see past it. Um, sure. Well, and I mean, again, they seem to be using race differently than we use race. It's less like ethnic or genetic than. Uh, yeah, like you said, cultural or, or geographic or whatever. But I mean, like Tyrrell and Sharon were together and there was no like hint of racism there. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and, and I get that like, okay, like that's, that doesn't always mean that there isn't sort of latent, you know, racist, whatever, or that like, mm-hmm. yeah, like there's like different levels of it or, or, or whatever. Um but there's no hint anywhere of like Tyrrell ever being a racist. Like, right. I don't like, like, that's the thing. Like, I think his sort of like rant in the bar and stuff there kind of bothers me quite a bit on, Mm -hmm. on that whole racism level more than anything, because it just seems to come out of the blue and maybe, you know, again, maybe that does happen in the real world. Like, Oh, I never realized so-and-so was a racist and whatever. Like I get that that can happen. And and does right. happen. Like I'm right. not even necessarily saying right. whatever, but but I feel like if you're gonna if you're gonna have that be part of the story here, then like there would you you would have seen like hints of it elsewhere. Yeah. Right. Like if, right. if they were gonna like make that as a as a important characteristic of his character. Right. So like an example that comes to mind is Ron in the Harry Potter novels of like Ron is is consistently throughout the books 
the voice of like disconscious prejudice, prejudice, like the, the one who all of the prejudices that he spews are because he grew up in, you know, the magical community. The and so world, yeah. he, he parrots this stuff that against, you know, elves or werewolves or giants or whatever. Like he just repeats stuff that it doesn't even, it isn't even anything he ever consciously right. questioned because it was it's, part of his culture. It's normal and, for him, yeah. And that's his role because, you know, in the trio of Harry and Hermione come from outside of, they're coming at it saying, what do you mean? Like, why would you think that this person is evil? And Ron's p role is to be the one who kind of, without even meaning to, voices those prejudices. And I feel like you couldn't totally have characters like that. I mean, I think maybe Ty could be kind of like that, of like a character who's easily can be kind of a bigot if it's if it's a class of person that he doesn't think much of, that he could kind of generalize and stereotype. But like, it doesn't just, yeah, like if you're going to do that, you want to make that a consistent part of the character. Like, and... Like to just suddenly throw it in the mouth of Tyrrell, which I again I feel like is there to kind of say, well, because Tyrrell does it, then you're supposed to understand that this is a totally normal thing that everybody thinks. Like Tyrrell's the everyman in that situation, but like, yeah, but like if you're only ever going to do it in the one episode, it just kind of leaves a weird taste in your mouth, you know, of and like. You and know, and kind of throws Tyrrell under the bus for like no yeah. reason, you know, um, like a there, little bit of character assassination there. And but. there's also like sort of like the working man aspect of, right? Because he's, he's low man sure. on the totem pole in right. that group. Is there a, a class like, issue there of like, well, yeah, this is he, blue collar, you know, right. of, you know, Tyrrell who isn't educated enough to, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so about that bar scene. Yeah, sure. In general. Like, just a weird situation, too. Yeah. Uh, even beyond Tyrrell and his racism. Like, mm -hmm. D, who was so annoyed, that's understating it, mm. mad, angry about Lee's drinking and whatever last week in the last episode yeah and even like not disparaging per se but like the whole like comment about Tyrrell like being Lee's new drinking buddy and stuff like right that yeah. kind of thing like right and like now it's like right oh, and Starbucks there too yeah yeah we're, we're you know we're doing the Galactica equivalent of playing darts here like right like they're well, it was like a pyramid sort of target game, right? Or something yeah, like that. Yeah, like a little like, mini pyramid kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, right. Like, yeah, like you would go to a bar now and, and play darts or whatever. Like, this is their version of that. And, and like, <laughs> even like, like, when did Racetrack and Lee start hanging out? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, like, I don't, I mean, maybe it could have happened, like, Okay, racetrack's been around a little while. She's been, you know, she's yeah. not a nugget anymore. Um, was Connor the person she was on a date with? I don't. Or, no, like, he she was said like something about a bar. nugget. 
like yeah well that's what i mean like like right. he's kind of tending bar right i but think like, he's just tending bar i don't think he's the nugget <laughs> but there's but there's like no one else there so, sure and, and like like that whole exchange like hey mars hey connor like yeah. Right. <laughs> what? Right. What's going right. on? First of all, why Marge? Marge. And then, oh, like, terrible. Like, what is, I don't know. Like, it, it's just such a weird group and like, situation. Ag- again, again, like taking Hilo and giving it this episode. I like this in theory. Like, I think this is a thing we don't maybe get enough of in the show is like characters paired up that you don't normally see together. Like, I would sure. love to see scenes of like, what do they do on their off time or like, like people in their downtime hanging out. But like, that doesn't mean you just take a bunch of random characters and throw them in a room together and expect to get like chemistry and out of it. Spout racial epithets. And then have them all spout racial Like that's not, that's not like a good time. Like here's everybody being friends scene. It's like, it's mostly just really awkward. And like, like if you're going to do that, invest the time to do that right. And give us a sense of their friendships. Like, I don't think we get enough of that, of like just pure friendships in the, you know, of like outside of the context of like work, you know, or like survival or whatever, like of just the characters, like, hanging out or like but there are good ways to do that i think without you know just kind of pulling a bunch of names out of the hat and throwing them like the the another one from the essay that i remembered is like somehow uh gata manages to smoke his cigarette without putting it through connor's face like the fact that like you have him like smoking at the bar with like three members of the circle hanging out like they would not just hang out together like like you know or like if you're gonna show that you've moved past your stuff maybe you should show that and not just like assume it because last we saw these people were trying to kill you so like yeah it does kind of feel like they said all right we need two characters from CIC. We'll take a couple from the hangar deck. We'll take a bunch of pilots yeah. and or, we'll show, Oh, look, they're friends and they hang or, out. More likely. Hey, we need to shoot this scene. Who's still here. Yeah. Who's available. <laughs> who's, who's still around. Did anyone, go, did everyone go home? Can right. we, uh, oh, Hey, Hey, Gata, come here. Right. Like, right. Like, just go yes. sit at that stool over there. Like you want an extra day of paycheck. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, you come, come here's a cigarette. Don't say anything. Just sit you, here and and you, act like you're friends with people. Um, you need you need more work to keep your SAG insurance. Right. Uh, exactly. Can, you know, we can, we'll throw you a bone. Exactly. And again, I I like the theory. I want these people to be like I want to have those scenes of like show me how they're friends. But sure. But do show me. Like don't just kind of assume it. Um. Or or take random characters and sort of like throw them together and, and, you know, let that kind of, it just feels a little bit, not, uh, well, not a little bit. It doesn't feel very thought through. Um, yeah, no. And that's, again, that's the contrivance, right? It's the, it's we're we're forcing these scenes and situations to serve a political or, social or moral point that 
that isn't focused on the story so much as whatever we're trying to get across to you, the good viewer. Um, I right, was saying, right. I was saying in sort of like our pre-discussion too, like, I feel like that's a disease that sort of this last season, or at least the last half season of the agents of shield has been, um, with sort of like parroting various Trump or, you know, high level Republican, like words and phrases, like in the, in, like sort of wedging them into like the storyline, mm. you know, as sort of a wink, wink, nod, nod to whoever they feel is watching and can just sort of like score some cheap points doing that without really like, it doesn't really like do anything for the story per se. Mm. Um, and you could have a very decent story and still get across your point um, and make it relevant to current events, um, which is something I think. So I also, so we also talked briefly about the fact that I just started watching the handmaid's tale too. Mm. And I think that's something that that show, I mean, having only seen like a couple episodes of it, I think is actually doing really well of mm -hmm. that type of thing without, forcing in like specific words and phrases or mm -hmm. you know situations or whatever and um I'm right sure there's could, there is a an artful I'm, way to do it yeah i'm sure we could spend a lot of time sort of analyzing you know why and how you know those things are better or different than each other and, and mm -hmm. whatever um but maybe not today sure uh, yes so, yeah. but there is a there is a way to do issues in quotes, mm -hmm. in a way that oh, is, sure. is well done and compelling and, and subtle, you know, that isn't just sort of, yeah. And even putting, putting, doesn't, doesn't have you know, to be subtle even like, like just not forced, <laughs> like just not like done in a way that's natural. I would say even yeah. more than subtle, sure. you know, to how the characters and, and, and the backstories of how you've built everything up might not be might not be easy but mm -hmm. like that's kind of why we like shows that do it well is because we know that it's not easy and that it's rare and mm -hmm. and yeah right and and it's not easy and so you know i mean i think if there's any sort of points for at least trying to say something then you know like racism bad got it you know like don't don't kill people just because they're different from you you know um yeah that it that is certainly true um and, well yeah, yeah and even even like like the point of like okay we have a limited amount of medicine to give people and there's a sort of triage or utilitarian uh you know, consideration. Like, you could totally do that without having, like, Dr. Robert being, like, a completely evil, bigoted racist. Like, if right. that's if, if that's a storyline you wanted to pursue, which, like, they touch on it, but it's just kind of like... Right. A, an afterthought at the end in his little sort of monologue there, right? Right, like, right. Like, I feel like that could be an interesting story of, like, like, you genuinely believe that there's, like, people who deserve it more... Right. But it doesn't have to be like the people there there's like the good upstanding soldiers and like the dirty people who eschew modern medicine. Like there could right. be 
there, and maybe this is what there might be some middle ground between yeah, those things. Ma- yeah, ma- maybe this is where your subtlety comes into play. It's like, yeah, there could be, like, there could be, yeah, grades between those two extremes. Right, and like you could actually, the show The Hundred did something like this recently, where like it's like something a, a nuclear fallout is coming, and there's only so much, you know. Uh, medicine or whatever whatever that's going to keep and so it is a question of who do we pick like who is what's the utilitarian okay like who are the people who you know and like if the leaders pick themselves because they're the leaders is that an evil thing you know because they're already the ones in charge and so they are Mm -hmm. the ones who should continue because they're the ones actually keeping people alive and going or whatever um, so like you could do something like that where like, you know, the de- the disease in this episode is weirdly kind of benign. Like you could totally do an episode where like a plague breaks out of some kind and like we only have so much vaccine. And so the question is, who gets it? Like, do we go just for the, the you know, the soldiers and the pilots and the government and all that? Or do we, you know go for the people who seem more worthless, I guess, like the civilians or, or this particular sect of civilians that are, you know, looked down on and everything. But like the fact that this is like, well, you catch it, but it doesn't really kill you right away. So you don't really need an immunization, but if you do, you might catch it. So we need to give you the med. Like, it's like this weird, all the rules around like, you know, you don't show symptoms, but then if you do show symptoms, you only have a day or two to, to take them. Med- it's just very strange. Um, so it doesn't ever get to the point of where this is like a real emergency, you know, like, like this sickness is going to spread and we need to make a decision right now about who we're going to save, you know, and, and like, it never threatens the crew because it only comes, it only spreads through contact. So it's only going to spread to the other Sagittarians. Like it never, it, right? Because they're not in contact with yeah, anybody else. So I mean, it's like, it, it's just like, there's a weird lack of jeopardy, <laughs> like other than to the Sagittarians, which is, I guess why they have to make it that like, it's not just that Robert won't treat them. It's that he like starts like actively killing them. Although I, I do think, I do think, I think the fear is close quarters and like, Sure. Like you could have like rats or, you know, something else spreading the disease. Sure. Like um uh Dr. Robert does mention two pycons who like are starting to come down with it. Sure. Um Hera apparently comes down with it. Right. right? Sure, so like sure. there's kids and stuff who, you know and and you know, typical, you know, hands on railings, you know, wiping your nose and right. touching something and that kind of thing. So like like, I'd, I think you're right, like, generally, like, at least to start, it's just the Sagittarians, but I think that's the fear, is that you've got a lot of people in close quarters, and just those sorts of general, mm-hmm. and, and I mean, this is, I mean, part of it's too, like, yeah, this is the introduction to Dogville for us. We don't actually know what sort of the society mm-hmm. and, you know, interactions are with people there. Like, is there do people come around with food or is there like, you know, could be things be like, 
passed along in like dirty trays from food and stuff you know do people is there like a eating area where everyone goes in and mingles and you know that mm-hmm. kind of thing you know so those types of things i think are are where the concern about it spreading would be but then again like as soon as like anyone who's not a sagittarian starts getting symptoms they would be yeah, yeah, give me the inoculation. So right. you're and right. And I guess like, that's the that's the lack of jeopardy is like, yes, it can spread, but I'm not really that worried about anybody because you get a shot and you're fine. Like as long as you report your symptoms. Um it's only that he, he's again, not just singling them out for lack of treatment, but actively killing them that it's even like you know, becomes a problem. Um so yeah, this poor episode, we've kind of, I know, you know, and we didn't even like get to any of the sort of ancillary stuff. Um, Rosalind and Zarek talk about Baltar. Zarek yeah. gets mad and leaves. I mean, it's kind of like, all right, we're setting up for the inevitable yeah. trial, which is coming down the pike. And Zarek, like he said before, is repeating his same warnings about you're going to have a circus. And so we'll sort of wait to see, you know, if he's right about that. Um, But that's his, that's his story and he's sort of sticking to it. Um, Yeah. And then uh, Rosalind also goes to Caprica six. Um, well, she doesn't. She sends Athena into Caprica Six and listens from, you know, behind the glass next door. Sure. Um, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if there's any big things to talk about there. I mean, uh, some interesting stuff I think about, I mean the first we've seen of Head Baltar in a while um, and him kind of pointing out the ways that Caprica is actually kind of mirroring Baltar and that kind of like he wishes all of his problems would, would be solved if he was a Cylon. Um, Head Baltar says, you know, of Caprica that she wants to be human. Um, so there's this kind of mirroring going on. Um, between the two of them. Uh, and they notice her talking and making out with thin air, um, <laughs> which is like the kind of for all of Baltar's stuff like that, like he would get weird looks, but I feel like never, nobody ever explicitly like mentioned it before the way they do with Caprica here where they're like, yeah, Rosalind's kind of studying and going, Hmm, you know, this is kind of weird. She's talking to nobody. So it's kind of really the first time that that element's been like really noticed explicitly by anybody else besides Baltar and Caprica that I can think of unless I'm wrong. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Like, I mean, People have sort of looked at him funny, like you said, but I don't think it's like he's done a lot of weird stuff around other people and like has, yeah, nobody's really called him out on it. And I just, I wonder if that's because, well, I think 
maybe one is because he didn't have the same scrutiny you know like everyone thinking like that he's human which he is mm-hmm. so like he you know no one really like looked at him in that way um over time he got better at hiding it too but also mm-hmm. like he's a scientist he's a weirdo like he's famous and like famous right. people just act weird sometimes like like i feel like all of those sorts right. of things like being really smart being a scientist being famous like all those things like if people see him doing something they would just write it off to yeah weird smart right people right. are eccentric genius are yeah just, yeah yeah they're strange so right that yeah eccentric genius covers a multitude of odd personal tics and behaviors and everything um yeah so that totally i think i think that makes enough sense that you can kind of see why he would have gotten away with it um All right. All right. Did we did we complain enough? Was there any any other things you wanted to complain about, or anything we liked that we wanted to say before we move on? I think we've buried this one well enough. Okay. All right. Let's switch over to Buffy then. Um. Uh. I think probably a much better episode that we'll have nicer things to say about and getting towards the end of the season here. Um, Pretty darn close. Yep. uh, Two to go picking up on Willow's sort of promise from the last episode of, you know, um, although when we get to the end, there are still two to go, Um, you know, that's true. Which you wouldn't necessarily assume, you know. I certainly wasn't, you know, uh, convinced that Jonathan and Andrew would both make it out of this episode alive. So, um, fair enough. You know, uh, so far they are, you know, they are alive and kicking, and and Buffy and her crew have been successful in stopping Willow and everything. Um, all right. First, I wanted to start with Spike because I feel like it's pretty short, so we don't have to take a ton of time on him. Um, yeah. But we saw him go to whatever, you know, village and shaman or whatever um, to do whatever it is he wants to do. We still don't know a lot about what he wants. I mean, restoring his old self seems like maybe the thing or getting rid of the chip or whatever it is. Like, he's kind of... Yeah, had it with the you way sort of hinted are. at it. We had we still don't, like he is kind of vague, right? Like I'll get what I want, or I'll you know what whatever. Yeah. Like we don't yeah. know exactly what it is yet. But. Right, and and kind of va- veiled hints about you know what he's gonna do to Buffy when he gets back. Of like yeah. I'll, I'll show her that kind of thing. Yeah. Um. So yeah, so you know he has to pass a test in order to get what he wants, which we found out last time here he uh passes stage one of the test so right says, this is like bugger <laughs> at the end, you know, like he didn't uh, realize that this is a multiple level, you know, yeah, yeah, have you ever seen the um the old Rodney Dangerfield movie back to school? <laughs> oh, I mean, I'm sure, but uh not for so- a long time. So he, you know, the concept is, you know, he goes back to college or whatever, right. at, you know, as a 
50 or 60 or whatever year old and uh and and so yeah like for one of his finals it's like oh i just have one question you know like 53 parts or whatever or is that wait is that now is that is that back to school or is that Billy Madison? Now I can't remember because they're both like a very similar <laughs> premise. Because they, they both yeah. have the same premise. And, yeah. And anyway, um, it's uh, yeah, like that idea, like oh, I just have one question in like you know eight hundred, you know, part A, you know, part B, you know, part C. Yeah. So this is stage one, apparently, of of yeah. his trials. Um, which yeah, I mean, he passes. Like I don't, I don't think there's much to say about it. Like yeah, you know, no, it's a it's a close call, but he wins and yeah, passes the sort sort of the humorous moment of like, oh okay, I gotta fight this big guy, and then like his fist turns into into flames. And yeah, yeah. It's like oh, this might be harder than I thought. Yeah, um, and I like the the joke about you know we're not starting with the written um, that like of course it's going to be this like gladiator test. It's not you know right. what else could it be um you know how else are you going to test spike's metal um so yeah uh so i guess we'll see stage 2 potentially in the next episode i don't know we'll find out i mean that seems um, to be a logical assumption um okay so moving on to the main part of the episode um willow takes off for Andrew and Jonathan, as we know. So she's headed for the jail. Um, Xander gets sort of left in the dust. Um, you know, Anya apparently can, like, teleport herself around, which, you know, uh, is a thing. Um, I don't think we've ever seen her do that before, right? No, well... No, I don't think we've seen Anya teleport, but we've seen Halfrek teleport in. So, like, sure. we, we kind of right. know that this is, like, a vengeance demon way of okay. traveling. Yeah. Well, we know Anya is magical to some extent. Like, you know, we don't right. know the well, yeah, total she's... extent of her powers, but, like... Right, she's know. a vengeance demon again. Like, right. we've, we've known that. So, like, it's not... Right. Like, I don't think she was able to when she was just human. Like it's, gotcha. you know, I, I think, yeah, I mean, we've never seen her do it before, but I don't, I feel like it's not like a, a huge leap to say like, oh, okay, we've seen it before with other vengeance demons. So, well, that, and that's true that thing. like her, her status has changed a bit in the last couple of episodes that she's kind of reclaimed this, you know, vengeance demon part of her and that, you know. Uh, means that her abilities are kind of enhanced and expanded and everything. Um, mm -hmm. it, so, although, so it is interesting too, just to think like this gives us an even new level of sort of like demon to think about too. Right. Because like when you sort of couple this with like Cordy, now you've got like multiple humans who have sort of taken on demonic powers. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's not like it's not even like we're even blurring the line even more, I guess, between like people and demons where mm -hmm. like for the most part, 
so like like you start out with like demons are these sort of like supernatural you know whatever and then it's like well okay they're more like they're more like almost like aliens like they come from a different dimension or a different planet or something like that but they're you know they're still sort of like biological mm-hmm. but even then it's like there's like a pretty clear you know distinction between like human and demon you know like genetically speaking or whatever but now it's like well like humans can become kind of demons Mm -hmm. right like there's there's a choice maybe to be made here and Mm -hmm. and maybe not quite the same thing with willow even but like like that there's kind of similar yeah you know there's that idea that like yeah like she's taken on this magic and and like different than like the mayor who Mm -hmm. like ascended and stuff but it was like this whole ritual and like he kind of like offered himself as like a vessel to this like other like this existing demon that just like came to use his body but like mm-hmm. what happens to like Cordy and Anya it seems like to be different in a way where it's like they're still human but they kind of take on demon powers in a mm-hmm. way or or are changed sort of fundamentally at a at a sort of genetic or soul level like right right Right. but it's not even in their essence or whatever yeah and and it does seem to be more genetic or or you know magical or biological or whatever because um it's interesting like when you bring up willow like that is kind of similar to what the way they talk about willow in this episode of like you know of her you know in this gaining of these powers there's a sense of her losing her humanity, right? Of like maybe crossing lines that she can't go back from or that there's no way for her to to become this powerful without giving something up essential about her human nature and everything. But at the same time, it's not, I mean, Willow, for Willow, magic is dangerous in the sense of it's, it's addictive. Um, but there's not necessarily a sense that like all of this demonic ascension is necessarily like a moral thing. Um, because sorry, my cat is crumbling her bag. Um, like with Willow, I feel like it's more the killing. That's what's going to make her lose her humanity. It's, it's what she's doing with the magic. Um, whereas like with Anya and Cordy, they're assuming these demonic powers, but I don't get the sense that they're becoming less human as a result of that. Like maybe less pure human, but like they're not right. I don't get that sense of loss from them of they've given up some moral essential part of them. Are you kidding me? What are you doing? Yeah, no, I, I agree um, to a sense. And that's kind of why I said like, it's, it's more blurring the line. Like, mm-hmm. because I, I think you're right. Like it is, it, it's not a clear, like they're no longer human, they're demon. Well, they're, they're part demon. They're, you know, they're, like right. they're sort of still part human or mostly human and maybe with a little bit of demon in it, you know? And so. Um, right. Or what's that thing of like a, a zero sum game or something where like they're necessarily inverse to each other where like the more demonic the less human. I don't get that with Cordy and Anya. Right. Like, like I get there. It's an they're additive. Being, it's an additive. They're being enhanced, but they're not losing 
something right. vital to themselves in the same way that Willow is, I think. Um, right. So it, it it certainly can be dangerous, but it depends on the context um, and mm. how you're gaining these powers and why um, and what you're doing to, to do that um, are more important than the powers on their own necessarily. Sure. Um, yeah, yeah. So I just, I wanted to point that out just because it, it is sort of like another, maybe not as big of a step as even some of the other ones we've taken, but I do feel like we've kind of got like more examples um, in each of these current seasons that we're looking at uh, of both shows of, of further blending of, or, or you know, blurring the line of, you know, what it means to be human versus what it means to be demon. And that right, sort of thing. Right. Um, right. So, so yeah. So Xander, even more than usual, you know, really is the, you know, the mundane, normal guy, right? Like Willow is completely becoming this, you know, dangerous and potentially evil, but powerful witch, right? And has totally gone off the deep end. You know, Buffy takes off at her superhuman speed and endurance to go chase her down. Anya, like, magics herself over to the jail. Um, and then there's Xander kind of left with his car smashed up. So he can't even, like, drive quickly to, mm. to get to them. Um, and you just get that kind of, you know, I'll catch up. Glad I could help. You know, it's not like she's my best friend or anything. Like, just his, the futility of his situation, or at least he feels. Like, what can he kind of contribute to this? Um, you know, uh, is sort of very prominent, I think, at that point. Um, although he does come, he gets the police car and and, you know comes up to the rescue and helps. So it's certainly not like you kind of get that, like the worst thing that Xander could do is just declare everything is hopeless and I can't do anything and give up, you know, like he mm. can contribute, but he has to like keep doing it. It's sure. It's harder for him because he doesn't have all of those special abilities. Um, he has to actually like, not that the others don't have to ever think of plans, but he has to maybe be a little bit more clever about how he's going to help and how he's going to make a difference because he has to, you know, not rely on his brawn or his magic or whatever. Yeah. Um, all right. So they get to the jail. Um, there's a, you know, Willow breaking down the wall, knocking over police officers, like with a flick of her wrist and, you know, how easy it is. And the, the part where she flies up to, here's another Harry Potter reference tonight. I thought of Snape at the, in Deathly Hallows when suddenly they're like, he could fly. Like the idea of like, he had powers that people didn't even realize and that weren't quite natural even for wizards i feel like that's kind of willow in this episode like 
Mm. It's not just that she's powerful, but it's that she can do stuff that it didn't even conceive of them that she could do before. Like maybe sure. stuff she didn't even ever try before. She's suddenly, right. you know, doing it. She's, as she's learning it, she's breaking new ground. Um, right. You know, Almost and like, discovering her powers as she uses them. Right. It's like as soon as she realizes she needs to do something, she just does it. Right. It's, yeah. Like if it's right. easier for me to like just break down this wall than to walk up the stairs. Like... Because presumably, like, it, there's only seems to be like one, there were only one floor up, right? Like, mm-hmm. based on the building that, like, she's pulling down, like, she could have just walked inside and walked up a flight of stairs and gotten to them. Mm-hmm. Like, but for her, it's like, oh, just stand here and rip all the bricks out of the wall and then right. fly up there. Like, that's just as easy as going up, you know, some stairs, you know, whatever. Um, right. Especially considering, like, she could have just walked past the security guards and they couldn't have done anything. Right. Well, in some ways, it's harder. She's making a show of it. Like, she's showing off. You know, like, because she could kind of just walk past and have gotten up to them and, you know, killed them or captured them or whatever easily, more easily than the way she does it. But there's this, I feel like there's a sense of her indulging in her power and in the kind of cat and mouse aspect of it you know um Mm. like what Buffy says about like she doesn't want you dead she wants to kill you like she wants the she wants this to go a certain way and there's a theatricality and like a satisfaction that she wants to get out of it you know um Mm -hmm. which is more than just like sneaking up on them and killing them it's like it has to be big and showy and done with the most amount of vengeance and drama that she can like possibly, mm-hmm. you know, get out of it. Yep. So in some ways I think she's making it harder for herself, but that's part of the fun, I guess. Um, sure. Uh, but okay. So Buffy, you know, Anya tries to, you know, get the guard to help. He's not a help, really. Um, you know, Buffy shows up and sneaks them out. And then there's this car chase where we see at least Willow's power isn't unlimited. That she kind of gets drained after a certain amount of time and needs to, mm-hmm. you know, recharge and top herself up and everything. Um, yeah. So they kind of shake her off and they go to... The magic shop. Yeah. Um, to hide. So, yeah, I want to talk about some of the character interactions um, there. Uh, so, first we get Anya and Xander, um, who are being pretty civil to each other in this episode. I mean, they definitely, like, are still... There's tension, there's fighting, there's misunderstanding, but um, they're able to be in the same room and have a conversation, which is, I guess, more than they have in the last couple of episodes. Um, Sure. And. Yeah. And even like through the snark and stuff, like there's, you do get the sense that they're like, at least starting to understand 
the other's sort of positions and thoughts and feelings about what happened. Not that, I mean, we're certainly not anywhere near a reconciliation and, Mm -hmm. and not even like hinting that there even will be a full (laughs) reconciliation, but you do get some, some moments where each of them, you know, at different times, at least kind of take what the other is saying to heart. Mm -hmm. If, even if they're, even if it doesn't like lessen their own sort of, pain or guilt or you know Mm -hmm. whatever they're feeling um you do get each of them sort of says what they think the other is thinking and then that is corrected by the other person right so like like i think of like xander like responding to anya and saying you know you think i'm the hero of this piece like you know, is this is this what you think I see myself as? Like, I I know that I'm not, you know, I know how useless I am and how much everything is my fault. Like, right, right. you know, um, which, you know, may or may not be true. Like, that's at least the way he's feeling. Like, it's it's not sort of the, right. uh, you know, Anya, you know, saying that you know, you got hurt, you know, you got away with it. It's your lucky day. You know, I can't hurt you because of what you did to me. And, and Xander's like, that's not like, right. that's not how I feel at all, you know, about it. So, so I do feel like there's definitely some, you know, again, like they're not ready to like forgive each other and jump into bed or anything, but like, you know, certainly, certainly at least starting to understand that like, like neither of them is gloating or, you know, feeling good about the way that things shook out. And, right. you know, I do like, I mean, at times where I've been really mad at someone and of course you can only get really mad at the people who like you care about. Right. So like, like there's that aspect of it too, but like, you know, at, at those certain moments in my life, like there is that sense of like, yeah, you do have maybe create a uh, narrative in your head about what the other person is thinking and doing and how they're going about it. And mm-hmm. it's not until you can sort of get past your own thoughts and realize that maybe there's a different way to look at things that you can even start to like, whatever, forgive or ask for forgiveness or whatever it is that needs to be done in that situation Um, right right well it it, yeah it requires enough you know empathy to think of something from the other person's point of view which i feel like has to involve a certain amount of if not forgiveness at least like imagination towards forgiveness Mm -hmm. like to start to think not that the other person did everything right, but maybe they have a point which is worth exploring. Maybe they have a point of view which is worth hearing out, I guess. Right. Um, and, you know, and uh, the same thing, you said the same thing is true of Anya where Xander kind of you know, says something about her, what she did with Spike is vengeance. And so that's how his conception of what she did. And she's able to correct that and say, Mm-hmm. That actually wasn't even about the vengeance. She didn't know that Xander was watching and didn't intend for him to see it. It was about seeking solace and comfort with somebody else. It wasn't even 
it was about Xander, but it wasn't for his benefit. It wasn't meant to be, you know, revenge against him. It was about her getting something she needed from Spike in that moment. So yeah, each of them kind of having their view adjusted slightly into understanding where the other one might be coming from. Well, and that, yeah, so there's that part of it, too, where it's um, sort of a release of ego in a way, right? Like, right. it's it's that sense of you, like, even just acknowledging that the other person has feelings that have nothing to do with you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and And then from there, like, once you can acknowledge that, then it's like, oh, okay, well, what what are those feelings that have nothing to do with me? Right. Because right. I I mean I think that's just and that's just a natural part of who we are is that for each of us we're the center of our own worlds and and in a way you can't not be because right. you're with your own thoughts and feelings and you know whatever you know all the time so you know taking that moment to get out of out of your own head and and try to imagine what it's like for someone else is is literally an unnatural thing i think mm-hmm. for a lot of well for everyone um it may come easier for some people than others but that you know that doesn't necessarily mean it's easy <laughs> per mm-hmm. se right. um and so yeah so it's it's understanding that yeah other it's understanding that other people don't have you at the center of their attention as much as you do mm-hmm. <laughs> And and then realizing, you know, from there that it it can take, yeah, that once there once the possibility of another reason existing, then it becomes a matter of exploring what that reason right. might be. Right. Uh, but right. And, but you and can't. I think, sorry, I was just going to add, but you yeah. can't start that until you do have that realization. Yeah. Yes. Um. And. I feel like it it does um what we were saying uh you know the helo suit didn't quite get across was uh you know the disparity between what we know people think of helo as as a person and what he his reputation and what he represents versus how he sees himself like that didn't what we were told about those things didn't make sense in the woman king whereas here i feel like you see that more like you can see both how anya would view xander the way she does and mm-hmm. you can see clearly how xander thinks that's insanity like how xander thinks how can you think i am smug about any of this everything i do goes wrong you know and and like like he is the one who's you know feels the most helpless and left in the dust you know and so to him the idea that he would be seen as smug you know or feeling like he you know is like at the center of things or you know is you know i don't know treating anya like she doesn't matter is like that doesn't make any sense to him. Um, but you can see how they both kind of arrived at those viewpoints. Like, it's kind of like maybe neither of them has it quite right, 
but each of them from where they're coming from has, okay, I can understand how they arrived at that conclusion. Um, so yeah. Um, you know, which is the good kind of character conflict where again, everyone's wrong. Everyone's right. Like, you know, we could argue with each of them about their opinions and their viewpoints, but from a simple motivation point of view, you can see how they, you know, got to where they're coming from. Yeah. Absolutely. So, um, yeah. And, and her line, which we stole for the title about, you know, I, I care if you live or die, Xander, I'm just not sure which one I want. Um, you know, so, a kind of a funny snarky line but you know it's not a matter of not caring right like it's certainly not that she doesn't care what happens to him um she cares very much that doesn't mean she necessarily likes him or forgives him or always wants good things but it's not a matter of not caring um so you know which i think works also well for Willow in this episode is, you know, uh, caring a bit too much about the fate of, you know, people she's angry at. Um, okay. All right. So we talked about Anya and Xander. Um, Andrew and Jonathan. Um, Andrew is very uh, obtuse. Is it deliberate? Yeah. Um, like, <laughs> I, I can't not yeah. say that line when I use that word. Um, he just <laughs> is kind of a blockhead. Like, week after week, just doesn't, you know, in some ways... Jonathan can be more frustrating because he gets it. He just does the wrong thing. <laughs> like it took sure. him a really long time to act on things, even though he knew the difference between like right and wrong, he just wouldn't behave but that I way. Um, but Andrew kind of just goes based on what he wants to be true. And, and he goes from wishful thought to wishful thought of, yeah, yeah. you know, Warren really wants to, you know, be with me and we're going to run off and be a duo. And okay, I got, you know, stuck a duo. I got stuck behind, but he's going to come back for me. And then, okay, he's making up stories about how this is a test. And as long as we pass the test, he'll come and rescue us. And, um, you know, and then, okay, we get rescued, but rather than stay with the rescuers who are actually capable of saving us and defending us, he now thinks they're going to run off and defend themselves and somehow live and not get killed by Willow and, you know, say to Jonathan, well, they'll be their own duo and be, like, stop, Andrew, just stop. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, um you know, grow up as Jonathan says to him. Yep. Yeah. I mean, 
I don't know that I have really much, if anything, to add to that. Um, I think, I mean, with Jonathan, like, we've seen, obviously, his, like, if anything, you know, Jonathan has proven time and again and again and again um, that he's just sort of weak-willed, right? Mm -hmm. Like, even even when he sort of wants to do the right thing, uh, he goes about it just in a terribly wrong way. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm thinking even like in superstar and stuff, right? Like, like he, he had like decent motivations there, but yeah. Uh, you know, obviously with just made really poor decisions about how to, how to go about, you know, fulfilling, you know, his desires and all of that. And I think a lot of what he's done in this season is sort of an extension, even of that, um, mm -hmm. you know, just, yeah okay like he like went along like did the bad guy thing for a little while but even like he was kind of the best of the bad guys in a way mm -hmm. like and so far as like i don't think he like for him it was maybe a game and and more mischievous than like evil you know what mm -hmm. i mean um, right and, and when more, it started the more turning, dangerous it got the more he started to at least and, want to back off yeah. and not just dangerous, but like vicious too. Like, yeah, yeah, like the more, yeah. you know, when it got to the point where like, Hey, like we never talked about like killing people and you know, whatever, like, yeah, like I'm in it for the girls and the money. If that, you know, should be what we can get. But you know, once you start like killing people and, and uh, you know, you know, those types of things. And then realizing like that Warren's actually kind of a psychopath, like, you know, then it becomes real. And, at, but at that point, you know, he is weak willed. So he's maybe just kind of hoping he can like, like one more trick and I'll, I'll be done. Right. Like, you know, this is, he's just kind of hoping he can make it through and get out alive and then, you know, go his merry way without, mm -hmm you know, inciting the, the, the ire of Warren. Um, I mean, I guess if anything, like at least he has a little more backbone than Andrew, like, which I think we come to see in this episode. Like, I mean, he's certainly not a hero by any means, but, but he yeah. does start to stand up at least to Andrew, um, mm -hmm. especially like knowing now that Warren's gone, like, you know, maybe he's not able to stand up to Warren because Warren's just, you know, more powerful or whatever than he is. But, you know, between him and Andrew, it's at least a fair fight, you know, and, and you know, he can at least sort of assert himself. Um, and even Andrew, like, is like, okay, I'll let you be the leader. Like, <laughs> can we just go to, like, like Andrew... I mean, it's not a lust for power because, like, he never has that power. Mm -hmm. But it's like he just wants to be associated with power, right? Like, he's sort of like your typical like evil sidekick, I guess. That certainly it doesn't have the competence or wherewithal to do anything on his own. Like, he needs guidance. He needs someone to tell him what to do. But yeah. he's totally willing to do it. Like once he's told, right? Um. Right. So yeah. Um. I mean, best you can say is at least Jonathan is like, no, you know what? We need to do our time and, you know, 
when push comes to shove, he he does step up to Andrew, who who ultimately backs down. So, right, he actually like even if he can't always get himself to act on it or or predict these things ahead of time, Jonathan at least recognizes right and wrong that there is a difference. You know, whereas like Andrew kind of doesn't. I don't really see that he like you know escaping is kind of a priority but doing the right thing in any sense is not like other than his own personal desires or his own personal safety or you know um or convenience or whatever it is um that seems to be what he's sort of totally focused on um you know even at this point even after having seen people die and in the the threat of being killed by willow and everything um Mm -hmm. yeah he's uh he's still still not getting it um (laughs) so yeah um and you know and he's kind of cowardly too like you said like he you know uh just kind of doesn't want to be told what to do and and you know loses in the game of chicken like he's not even gonna fight Jonathan for his escape he'll just sort of you know you know allow himself to be stopped and everything so um yeah um you know and Jonathan again to his you know whatever credit is left for him um does you know try to help like he does have experience with dark magic and you know he's dabble boy as sander says um you know so you know he at least tries to pitch in and kind of is at least shrewd enough to say like um these people are the only thing that's gonna keep us alive so you know there's doing the right thing but then there's also just if you want to survive you might want to help them because you know that is what is going to save us. So, um, so it's it's there's just a practical, you know, element yeah. to it too. Well, and I think that goes back to, like, even what you were saying about Andrew being more interested in sort of like his wish world than you know the actual what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Speaking of people with kind of wishful, magical thinking, um, Buffy, uh, you know, there's this, you know, not like a huge point, but throughout the episode, there is this question of like, what is her plan? You know, like what, I mean, we still don't know totally what Willow is capable of. And there's this question of like, will she turn on them? Like, not just, you know, go around them to kill Andrew and Jonathan, but will she actually hurt them too? Um, where right. Xander doesn't think she will and Anya isn't so sure. Um, and so it kind of brings up this question of what is Buffy going to do? Like if Willow refuses to stop, you know, how far, you know, are you going to go and everything? And, and Buffy kind of, at least for part of it, you know, doesn't really have much of a plan. It's mostly like run, hide, 
if she catches us, try to reason with her. Um, mm-hmm. You know, pretty much that's the plan is talk her out of it. Um, you know, appeal to her better nature and convince her that this isn't the way and that she's only hurting herself and all those kinds of things. Right. Um, which, you know, works sometimes to some extent, but, you know, when you're dealing with a real, you know, a kind of a, you know, crazy strong addiction, but also like a kind of mental breakdown, <laughs> you know, as Willow is here, yeah. you know, where she's kind of spiraling out of grief, you know, into this sort of destructive, you know, thing. Um, reason, uh, not always so effective. Um, so yeah yeah no i think you're right like there is kind of some wishful thinking going on uh in in buffy's part too so um that kind of gets slapped down by it does yeah right um yeah well and the fact that they kind of to jump ahead slightly the the fact that they end up in like without ever really thinking about it it seems in retrospect like that was the inevitable thing of like if you're gonna have dark willow it has to turn into like buffy versus willow like that's the sure that's the showdown you really want to see like as the viewer and everything so the yeah the idea that buffy thinks she can talk her out of it you know um is obviously not the case. And so it becomes about, you know, um, she has to physically stop her. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, which is like, you know, not necessarily in a fist fight, but that's sometimes the case. Like if people are having like a real, you know, breakdown, sometimes again, talking and reasoning only goes so far and, for better or worse, you know, uh, confronting them is the only way to really, you know, deal with it and everything. So it's kind of setting you up for that, you know, confrontation, I guess. Um, sure. So in the meantime, uh, Dawn is with Clem, uh, who's, you know, trying to entertain her, not too successfully with his like Dorito taste test or whatever he's <laughs> doing. Right. Um, right. And uh, Dawn, much like Xander, feeling uh, a bit helpless, a bit, you know, abandoned and sort of left behind. Um, so, and kind of similar to Buffy wants to you know appeal to willow wants to like see you know like if if she finds her if she can reason with her talk her out of it do all that kind of thing um so convinces clem to you know help her find rex a movable house which he does sure. yeah um and of course finds that Willow is already there because as we've established, she needs to recharge her 
powers. Um, so she's totally sucked rack dry and is, you know, waiting and all veiny and scary for Dawn. Mm -hmm. um, and it's like, you know, I feel like it was earlier in the episode, there was the question of like, are we even still dealing with Willow here? And it's like, that is a question at this point with Dawn. Like, to what extent uh, is Willow really Willow? In I mean, it is Willow. It's not like she's possessed. But, like, how? to what extent is she uh, responsible for herself here? Like, Willow, these are Willow's feelings. These are, this is her making these decisions. But, you know, Willow doesn't, the Willow that we know doesn't want to kill Dawn. Like, that doesn't seem like a thing that Willow wants in her right mind. Um, and so you do kind of have to, like, I guess question, um, like, is she off the hook to a certain extent because of the magic? You know, hmm. like, do you, does she get to plead insanity here? I guess. Um, sure. Uh, and like, I don't know, or, or because of the substance, you know, that she's the power that she's consuming, it's kind of, you know, messed with her, with her decision-making. Um, I don't know. Yeah, but I, I mean, mean, on the other hand, I mean, the, on the other hand, the, the counterpoint to that is, like, her monologue about, like, um, who Willow is in her and mine, um, you know, about, let me tell you about something, let me tell you something about Willow, she's a loser and always has been, with her stupid mousy ways. And now Willow's a junkie. The only thing Willow was ever good for, the only thing I had going for me were the moments when Tara would look at me and I was wonderful. Um, I mean, that's clearly Willow talking. You know, like this is the... Right. This is the release of all of the, you know, anger about who she is. You know, all of her self-hatred and insecurity for her whole life you know, is sort of building to this kind of, you know, climax. So, and yet it's driving her to do things that she wouldn't do, you know, in her right mind. So, you know, I don't know, like, you know, how much is, like, if, if the question is, is this willow that we're dealing with, um, yes and no, I guess is an answer i don't know what your thoughts are on that um yeah i mean the so the the idea of you know drug addiction you know magic as drug addiction comes up a lot so mm -hmm. I don't know that it's quite the same as pleading insanity, but like typically people are still held responsible for things that 
happen when they're under the influence. So I think mm -hmm. in that sense, like if we're if we're sort of playing that metaphor out now, whether that's right or not, like, I mean, mm -hmm. you know, that I suppose is up to sort of individual interpretation, but um, right. Yeah. From you know, like a, a like, legal point of view. Yeah. Yeah. From like a legal point of view or whatever, like, like, yes, you're impaired, but you're still responsible for the decisions you made to become impaired. And so therefore you're sort of cascadingly, you know, responsible for things that you do beyond that. Now, obviously there's caveats, like things other people do to you because of your impairment, you know, mm -hmm. I, you know, a big, a big issue that has come up, especially within the last few years is, is things like, you know, having sex when you're drunk is, you know, right. someone able to give consent if they're drunk or not. And, if not, then who's at fault? And what if like both parties are drunk and, you know, mm -hmm. like those types of questions that have come up. So, I mean, I think there's certainly a, a level of ambiguity there. I mean, as far as this goes, like, you know, again, like, you know, can we blame Willow hopped up on magic for the things she does? I mean, yeah, to a certain extent you can because she made whatever decision she made you know, she allowed herself to get to this point. But at this point, like, you know, there is also the sense of someone who is addicted, you know, to something, uh, may, there may be a biological aspect that they're incapable of sort of, uh, you know, completely controlling that. Maybe there's a certain level to which they can control it or at least avoid it. But once they sort of go down that rabbit hole, like they need some kind of help. And so, you know, I, I, this is all vague. Like I realize, like I'm not giving a clear answer here and I'm sort of intentionally not, but. No. You know, and I think there's probably not a clearer answer than like, that's exactly the, that's the tension. Um, right. Right. So, um, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think I think you can look at it different ways, and and sort of the conclusion is yeah, kind of and kind of not. <laughs> you know, at the same time, like it is kind of the same Willow, and she is kind of responsible, but in the same way, you know, or in different ways, she kind of isn't, and kind of isn't. Mm -hmm. um, if that makes sense. So, um, yeah. Um, well, and I mean, there's definitely a sense too that, um, you know, she's moving both with Rack and with Dawn, um, she's moving out of, um, you know, it, it started as she just wanted to kill these three people, you know, who, you know, are responsible for the things that happened. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of moves into it being dangerous for the people who are standing in her way. Like she'll, you know, chase down the, you know, Buffy and the others if they try to escape or, you know, or knock over the policemen if they stand in the way or whatever. But I feel like with Rack and then even more so with Dawn, it's moving into the kind of like innocent bystander thing of like, yeah, Rack's kind of a sleaze ball and a bad guy, but like 
you know, he has nothing sure. to do with Warren and Jonathan and Andrew. Um, but right. it's, she and has, you he, you, he has something she needs. And so she will, you know, right. she'll kill him if that gets it to her. And then Dawn is totally like, she's not doing anything. She's not stopping Willow from doing anything. She might want to talk to her, but like, right. you know, like there's no more innocent party in this than Dawn. Um, right. You don't, but even you her, don't she's get away. threatening and toying with this idea of what. So it, it's starting to move into the killing for the fun of it, you know? Yeah. Um, or the yeah. or the convenience of it or whatever. Well, and even like 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 vigilante justice is still just like if, if that. So just because you kill a drug dealer, that doesn't mean you can get away with murder. Right. Like, right. you know, I mean, unless there's mitigating circumstances where like they were threatening your life or something, which isn't the case here. Like you still killed someone. It's still murder. <laughs> like, right. Uh, you know, whatever that case may be. Um, well, and even, I mean, even her vigilante justice against the trio, it's like, even though she doesn't have the right to murder them herself, they at least have wronged her, you know, um, rack, yes has enabled and so is culpable but like again like you said wasn't immediately threatening um and then you know and so then you progress over to dawn who presents no kind of threat or you know doesn't deserve any vengeance at all so you know you can kind of see it becoming easier and easier each time you know to yeah you know be dangerous for everybody. It's not even just Warren and Jonathan now. Um, you know, I think that's Xander's question answered is, yeah, she will hurt them. Um, and they don't even really need to do much to, to get to that point. Um, just being there is kind of enough, you know? Yep. Um, so yeah, she, uh, kind of lures Buffy into this, you know, uh, you know, her kind of little monologue there where Buffy doesn't realize is that they're traveling, you know, um, mm -hmm. which is kind of a neat camera move. It kind of sneaks up on you of like it swirls around and you don't really realize at first that they are traveling, you know, and suddenly it's like they're in the magic shop and you didn't really realize how they got there. Um, Sure. And so, yeah, and then we get into the big, the showdown, you know, the Buffy versus Willow. This is kind of what we, you know, what you're kind of wanting to see in a way, in a like sick kind of way, um, is like, you know, match up the superheroes against each other and, you know, right. see who comes out on top. Although I think the, the, the funnest part for me is Anya. Um, who kind of is awesome in this episode. Like, you know, Anya, you know, doesn't necessarily generally volunteer to do the real, you know, dangerous things. Um, you know, yeah. but in this episode, here she is, like, getting to the jail before Willow and trying to help, rushing back to the magic shop to look up the spells and, you know kind of get things ready and then kind of hiding behind the bookshelf and 
performing all of these, you know, spells and protections and everything. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, it's go on, yeah. Um, and like, no longer with sort of the excuse or explanation or whatever of caring it's to for Xander. Xander. Yep. Right. Like, that's that's out the window at this point. It's, it is sort of for a more noble and mm-hmm. I mean, not that, you know, caring for some, someone is ignoble or whatever, but uh, there is a sense of, of like, this is even almost approaching altruism, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, to, to sort of, you know, juxtapose it against what she normally uh, would say or do. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Right. Right. It's low on, self-interest um you know because yeah i mean she does care for xander and she certainly did care for their relationship but the whole point of that is that they were together you know and that it was a relationship that meant something to her personally um and not that her relationships with the scoobies don't mean anything to her personally um but it's not quite the same thing so here yeah, the fact that she voluntarily, you know, um, puts herself forward and, you know, stays behind and, you know, is doing what she can to protect Buffy and, and the others and therefore kind of protect Willow um, is definitely, I think, a big leap forward for her, or at least indicative of a leap, you know, that and maybe a leap that she's already made. It's just, this is her demonstrating like how she's, you know, uh, grown or evolved or whatever. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, eventually, of course, inevitably she does get caught. Um, but you know, that's okay. She still, you know, kind of does, an awesome job and does it long enough to let the others get away and protect them and everything. Um, so, you know, good for her. Um, so, I mean, other than the fact that they fight, I'm not sure how much there is to say about, I mean, Buffy and Willow are fairly evenly matched. Um, I mean, Willow is sort of definitely gaining the edge at the end. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know if there's anything to say about their fight in particular. Sure. I don't, I don't personally think so. Like, I mean, it's a fight, you know, and I mean, they're evenly matched insofar as Willow can't use her magic, right? Right. Yes. Right. In this particular fight there. Yeah. Well, and she gives herself like super strength with the magic like she can perform the magic on herself and kind of enhances her her fighting and her strength and everything so um yeah so it's definitely affected by those things um and i mean i guess the only thing we kind of skipped over it too is um you know Buffy's her last appeal to Willow's reason is about how much there is to live for. Um, 
you know, and Willow kind of scoffing at that idea, which I guess is like the two, maybe the two big, you know, themes of the, of the season, you know, or like it's the Buffy plot and the Willow plot coming together of like, you know, all through season, this season, they've been struggling with finding like that, that point, that purpose, like what is there to live for? And this question of like, you know, is it worth it? And Buffy, you know, like Willow kind of telling the truth when she says like, you know, Buffy, you hate it here. You were happier in the ground. You were only at peace when you were dead. Like that's all stuff that Buffy's said. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's certainly some truth in it. Um, And maybe it's not until she has to beat up Willow and stop Willow from killing people to take Buffy to actually like believe her own platitudes, you know, like, sure. um, Like it's easy to say, but you know, um, she has to actually like fight to defend it when she says to Willow that like, there's actually something worth living for. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and the fact that Willow brought her back with magic is just another mark against Willow and her own self-loathing of like, what a terrible loser she was. Like, um, you know, she just wrecks everything, including Buffy's life. So. Um, Okay. So it's not looking good. Willow is winning. There's nothing, nothing on the earth can possibly stop me. Um, except for Giles, who I wouldn't say I ever forgot about Giles per se, mm-hmm. but I certainly forgot about like, I didn't expect him to sort of burst in. Like I wasn't anticipating that. So right. well done. Good well done show you know so, for, uh yeah pulling and out this awesome card and the and in a way that i didn't expect we we didn't get a lot of crap for killing people unexpectedly which mm-hmm. is fair he does do mm-hmm. that but like i feel like some of these more catastrophic moments are forgotten about as well like mm-hmm. and maybe like is it moffat you've said has maybe like there's a similar sort of bias one way rather than the other or maybe Yeah, Moffat Moffat gets a lot for killing people and he hardly kills anybody. Yeah. But like because like, he brings everybody back. And well <laughs> but like and the and I mean that's happened in Buffy and Angel too. Like yeah, it's right. it's not like, like yes. it's not it's not a totally justified reputation. Um, um but yeah no there's there's there is a sense, I think, where it's like, yeah, like you kind of forget about like these happier moments or at least like more satisfying moments mm-hmm. um, like Giles coming back. I mean, this is hands down one of Giles's best moments in like the entire series, of course. Like, yeah, like I, you know. It would be hard to make like a top five moments or or top 10 moments of Giles and not have this included on the list, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, probably pretty high up. 
Um, yeah, so I, I, I love it, you know, and his line is, you know, just fantastic. The, the, I'd like to test that theory. Um, but yeah. Right, because it's, I mean, it's a, it's the kind of a triumphant one-liner to end the, end the episode, but it's also like the great tease for the next episode because, okay, he's awesome in this moment, but like, we don't know what's going to happen next. Like, I'd like to test that theory means he actually has to like test that theory. <laughs> like, right. Like, and so, okay. We know Giles knows spells, but like, is he more powerful than like dark willow? Like, uh, like it's still, sure. the, you know, that that test is still yet to come. And, you know, uh, that's kind of, it builds the excitement for the next episode. Um, and like, like you said, like, I think by this point, I mean, unless you watch the series and, and know what's coming, like at this point, you, you know, you're not thinking about Giles as no. like even a, a possibility at this point. So no. as much as like you were anticipating Buffy and Willow going at it, it's like, oh, right. Giles and Willow, <laughs> like, right. is, there's right. going to be a showdown here. Right, um right. like so yeah it just kind of adds that other layer and yeah like are we seeing giles or is this ripper like oh yeah. yeah right right he has his own dark persona that he can draw on um yeah um and i feel like there has to be I'm sure there isn't literally, but like there needs to be some sort of joke about like, you know, I leave you guys alone for five minutes. <laughs> like, you know, like it just, it just cracks me up that like, I mean, I'm sure we'll find out like what brought him back. Why it like, is this sure. just a pure coincidence chance of he came back unexpectedly and, and found them all about to like kill each other. Or like, did he have some inkling of, Right. what was happening and he's rushing back to save the day. We don't know yet. Um, but it is kind of interesting that, uh, you know, he, he leaves to let them grow up, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and not, I wouldn't say it's his fault, but, um, this is like in his absence, the team is kind of imploding a bit. Um, and you do have Buffy and Willow like about to really, you know, take each other down. Um, and Tara is dead and all like all these things, you know, Xander and Anya are falling apart. Like the whole thing is just a mess. Um, so, yep. you know, he has a bit of a mess to clean up <laughs> now that he's here. Poor Giles. Um, yeah. yeah. So I'm excited for the showdown. I'm excited to find out more about what he knows or doesn't know about what's been going on with them. And, um, you know. Uh, yeah. I'm glad we don't have to wait a week for me to watch the episode. <laughs> yeah, I think... Uh... I think it works out good pretty, pretty good here for the next few weeks. Um, although we will still have to talk about the uh, end of the season, you yeah. know, before we start the new one. But 
Yes. Um, yeah. So I, I know I normally, um, like we have our discussion about um, maybe teasers for <laughs> upcoming episodes. Um, but I would just say here, just because we brought it up in discussion already, um, I mean, obviously Giles, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens there with him. Uh, you know, two things to maybe consider, and maybe they're even related. Um, one, I would just say, going back to your comments about Xander as sort of the everyman, you know, way back at the beginning of our discussion around Buffy uh, this week, um, just sort of keeping that in mind and, and reflecting on that. And then, you know, something we haven't brought up in a while with the whole soul triptych and stuff. I mean, this is, mm. we're, we're basically out of, I mean, not that we won't see Andrew and Jonathan again, but but they're kind of out of the picture at this point, right? <laughs> like, like I mean, the main focus now is 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 Buffy and and Willow and Giles, and you know, Xander will get back into it at some point. So, um, you know, just maybe thinking along those lines and and seeing where we go with that, and and yeah, right. Right. And, and thinking back to way back when we first talked about that, um, I took that idea from, of the soul triptych from John Granger, um, you know, and his whole thing of the, the most painful times of those stories is when that trio is out of alignment where like, you know, rather than having, you know, Buffy as the heart be the leader of what is the right thing in a given, not that she's a perfect character, but like, you know, I guess symbolically she's the leader. Um, the, when it gets really whacked is when one of the others takes control and, you know, kind of, you know, imposes their will on, you know, and so like Willow, if she's kind of the will or the, you know, the brain of the group that like, you know, her kind of, disregarding Buffy's kind of moral leadership and not allowing her to, to talk, I guess, sense to her. Mm. Um, and kind of it all being about that, what, what I want, what I need, um, whether it's the magic or it's the vengeance or whatever, um, her kind of running amok with her own, Id, you know, and her desires and everything. Um, I guess that's kind of the problem that needs to be sort of sorted out. Um, sure. Yeah. So, yeah. So it does come down to it's less of that makes sense to me that the question is less about does Willow kill them or not. The question is about establishing a right relationship between the Scoobies you know, like the reestablishment of, you know, I guess those main four, um, you know, or main three plus Giles, getting them back, you know, into like a, a real, you know, integral relationship between them where everybody is sort of, you know, aligned. So, yeah. All right, looking forward well, to it. Yeah, you can go watch it now if you want.
Oh God, that's that's too late. But I will watch it as soon as I can because I'm excited. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, we'll be back to talk about it next week. All right. See you then. Thank you.